covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Welcome into the program my name is Matt Pauley. It is our first podcast in calendar year 2021, which we can all hope the calendar year goes a little bit better than the 2020 calendar year went. Uh, certainly glad that uh, you are with us after two weeks off. We generally take a couple weeks off right around the holidays, but we are back and uh, we'll continue for at least the next uh, 50 weeks coming out uh, on late Sunday nights, early Monday mornings. Housekeeping items that we always do here at the top. Want to reach me at Matt Pauley on air on Twitter, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you do subscribe or if you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast, subscriptions are good and uh, rankings and reviews are good. So we appreciate uh, all of that. On the podcast this week, uh, a frequent visitor to the program, Ashton Rotman from uh, 94.5 ESPN and also uh, contributes to uh, Bucks coverage on WTMJ. He's going to be uh, with us for a uh, fun conversation as we just continue to look at the offseason and also uh, look forward. In fact, our conversation this week uh, will look very forward into uh, many years ahead of us and the direction that baseball is going. So I hope you uh, enjoy that coming up in just a few moments. There was a little bit, little bit, teeny bit of news this past week with the Brewers. Uh, they signed former Pirates prospect Pablo Reyes. It is a minor league contract. It includes the invitation to big league spring training. At one point, he was considered the 18th best prospect in the Pirates organization. He uh, did make the opening day uh, roster for the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2019. However, uh, he had an 80-game suspension uh, due to performance-enhancing drugs. Now, he is going to be allowed to play a full season this year. The uh, shortened 60-game season last year will count for the entire 80-game uh, suspension. Uh, and he was available, and the Brewers picked him up. David Stearns talked about the decision this past week. They feel like uh, the bad decision he made with the performance-enhancing drug was a uh, one-time sort of thing. That's not really who he is. They did research. They found out that he's a, a good teammate. A lot of people said uh, positive things about him. He is uh, someone who can play a number of different positions. He has made starts at all three outfield positions. He's played second. He's played uh, third. He's even played just a little bit of a shortstop uh, during the course of uh, his career as well. So, And he's got options. That's the other thing. We always need to mention that. He has options. So you want to find somebody that fits the Brewers, find somebody who can play a bunch of different positions and has minor league options, and uh, that is uh, the kind of signing that uh, Dave David Stearns, Matt Arnold, and company uh, like to make. So the Brewers bring him in, and we'll say it's a it's a low risk, high reward type move. If he gets back to kind of who he was as he was coming up and considered a prospect, he's someone who could be a, a big part of the organization. He's somebody that they can uh, start him in the minor leagues to get the season going and see uh, whatever rust he needs to uh, get rid of after a year out of the game. And if it just doesn't work out, it, it just doesn't work out, and you really didn't lose all that much uh, by being able to bring him in. He's not taking up a, a 40-man spot as it sits right now. So that's kind of the news of the week. Not a whole lot uh, beyond that uh, did take place. Kind of off the field, and I, I really don't know 
the implication of this. It was mentioned in the Milwaukee Business Journal this past week that uh, Brewers owner Mark Antanasio was able to sell a majority stake in his uh, investment firm. So what that really means for the team, if it means anything, I don't know. Uh, also, uh, this past week, it became official uh, when it when when January first hit. Uh, American Family Field became the official name of what was formerly known as Miller Park. Miller still uh, a big part of the Brewers organization, but the naming rights now belonging to American Family Insurance. So it is American Family Field moving forward. All right, uh, let's get to it. Our featured conversation this week with one of our freak. Went uh, guest to the program, Ashton Rotman, set to join us. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation, and we bring in... A guy who does a lot of things. He is uh, the producer of the morning show on uh, 94.5 ESPN. He uh, does a lot of stuff when it comes to... You hear him on Buck stuff all the time. He and Justin Garcia just doing stuff. Are you are you an official member of, of that podcast over there? Ashton Rotman joins us here on Brewers Extra Ends Podcast. Are you an official member of, uh, of Justin's podcast? Uh, well, as always, thanks for having me, Maddie. I don't know. I don't. I don't think he would ever admit that. So, uh, as much as as much as anyone that's listening that's heard Justin and I are our, our on air relationship, I don't know if he would ever admit that uh, I'm a part of that. Just like I don't know if he would ever admit that I'm part of the Bucks and Thirty uh, aptly named show on Tuesday nights. So on WTMJ. So no, I don't think I'm officially part of it. But uh, hey, you know what? I'm going to keep striving, and one day I'll get that. You should just put it in your Twitter bio one day and see if anybody <laughs> see notices. <laughs> I don't think that's the worst idea, but also, I don't want any extra attention. Fair. Uh, We're here to talk baseball, kind of talk about the Brewers. There's not a lot to talk about. Do you find it? So uh, let let me put this out, see if you agree, and then we'll go from there. In the National League, the Dodgers are good. The Braves are good. They don't have to do anything to stay good. The Padres were good, and they're trying to get better. The Mets are trying to get better, mm-hmm. and that's it. That's like the extent of good or getting better in the National League. I agree with that 100%. I think there's a longer list of, obviously the teams you didn't, didn't name, but there's a list of teams that also are getting worse, which the Cubs would be on the top of that list. There are teams that I don't know what they're doing necessarily because they have done nothing, and I think for me the Brewers fall top of that list. Yeah, and... I, I, I just don't think there's a lot of movement aside from the teams that you named. Like, aside from the teams that are, that are obviously going for it, which is all the teams you named, I don't know the direction of any of those others. And I don't know if the Cubs. Braves are going for it. They just have so much young, controllable talent. Right. Yeah. So they don't they don't have to try. And I don't know if the Dodgers are going for it. They just have so much talent They're on that good, team. Right. That, that's what it is. And there are two other teams that are going for it. Yeah, the... The Nationals kind of, I mean, they, they signed Schwarber, I guess. Maybe we could put the Nationals into a category. It almost feels like their hand is being forced by the Mets. Uh, I think that's fair. Like, I think about the rest of the, the that division, um, the NL East, like, if you're looking at teams that are in contention, it's the Mets, and it's the Braves, and it's the Nationals, and then you're like, eh, anyone else? The Marlins made the playoffs last year, sort of. Yeah, they got a lot of young people on that so, team, so they. Right. Should... 
but they're but they're also not doing anything to get better. Like when you mentioned the team that's forced their hand, like if I move it and look it over to teams that are doing things like the Cubs are forcing, I in my opinion, the Cubs, what the Cubs are doing should be forcing teams in the central to capitalize on that and try and take advantage of it and be like, okay, well, the Cubs are clearly just they made it clear what they're trying to do. They're trying to shed payroll and start over once again and retool on the fly, not do a full rebuild, but retool. And I just don't understand why some of these teams, again, it's early, it's January. I understand it. It's been a weird off season again, but like you see the other teams, at least they're trying, at least the Mets are trying, at least the Padres are trying, at least the nationals are trying to do something like whether or not they're big splash plays and splash moves is different, but they're trying. I think the Phillies will probably, you know, they made a regime change. They don't accept losing really there, even though they do lose, they don't accept the losing. So it wouldn't shock me for, I almost put the Phillies and the Brewers kind of in the same category where I Hmm. think at some point, they're going to do something. They're going to look at the landscape and say, this is an opportunity we need to take advantage of. Uh, and before we get there, let me say this. In the NL Central specifically, I think there's three classes of teams. The first class is the class that they're, they're shedding payroll. They're clearly going to take a step back next year. And I put the Cubs in that category, and I put the Reds in that category. And then the next group is the group of just kind of doing nothing, hinting at... Uh, the payroll going down, maybe they'll make some sort of move, but almost just kind of treading water. And I put the Brewers and the Cardinals in that category and then just stinking and having no intention of not stinking (laughs) is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think we need to mention the Pirates at all for the rest of the uh, 2021 year. (laughs) I mean, unless they're playing the Brewers, that team... And you know the, the the interesting thing about the Pirates is it's not just the team, like it's the organization. It's it's everything about that organization. It's like I feel like they need to reset. They they got rid of Clint Hurdle finally, but at the same time, it's like oh, I think Hurdle was rat. the best thing they had going in that. He was at least like a respected you know baseball man. Sure, but but I think once you get rid of him, you're like okay, now you want to try and culture change, but nothing else is good about your team. You've traded away anyone that's been worth anything. Uh, you're the only thing that you have that's worth anything. Which I believe Chris Archer is still on the roster, correct? No, he's a he's a free agent, I believe. Then there you go. Yeah, I mean, and I know everyone's got hot takes about Chris Archer. I that's that, that's right. I remember that because one of the things that I have in my one like off season note for the Brewers is I think they should go after Chris Archer. I remember that, um, and I, a lot of people disagree with me. I don't care. Remember when I, I just I love I, the I'd fact love that they traded Tyler Glass now in Austin yep. Meadows for Chris Archer. Yeah, I, I, look, remember? Do you remember that the other time? Because the Brewers were one of the teams that were possibly in on that deal, like yeah. they were in on the sweepstakes. And he goes there; he does not look good. Um, and then, obviously, everything that happens with both of the Glass now and, and Meadows, they're also not great. So, I, I just, I don't know what that organization is doing. But I think I like your tier system of tearing it off. The problem is, I don't know who in the Central is good. If if I said to you today, Matt, and you have to place ten dollars, hypothetically speaking, in Wisconsin on a team in in the NL Central to win the division, are you just taking the Cardinals by default? Probably, at like Which, eighty at eighty four or eighty five yeah. wins. And and who would be the second team again? The by Brewers. Default, the Brewers. Yeah, the Brewers. That shouldn't make any. Which is why I think whatever either of those teams do in the offseason and or haven't been doing is so crucial to be like you see one team again. I keep going back to the Cubs, but that's the biggest thing is they are very clear in what they're doing. They're getting worse. Yeah, I think when so you assess the rosters right now, and you also include the the expe- because there are some clear expectations of what could happen. Mm-hmm. I do think just without something unexpected happening. 
my hierarchy would be Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs, Reds, Pirates. I think that's fair. And isn't it funny how much I, after, you know, one season of like relevancy, the Reds are once again going to go back to being the Reds. Isn't that, I, I find that interesting. Yeah. And like, they're already talking about trading Moustakis. They, they signed him to that big deal last off season. And I've read some things that said he's, he's absolutely on the market. Now I was super happy for Moose when he got that deal. He's a guy sure. I've known for, for a long time long going time. back to yeah. my minor league days. So from a personal standpoint, I was so happy that he got that kind of, life-changing money um and and that that's great for him and his family Uh, i'm glad the brewers didn't give it to him i thought it was i thought it was an overpay and now i think the reds thought it was an overpay too and the problem is how do you get another team to take that contract when they may be trying to move them Hmm, interesting i know but don't you think he could help a team if you if you take the contract out of it yeah, sure. So at that point, are the Reds going to take on some of that salary? Just are they going to pay him not to be part of the team just to give up some of that? Sal- like that's the that's the thing because I I don't think a lot of other teams were offering him that kind of money. And I know in this off season where everybody's running away, who's gonna who's gonna take that contract? Right. And is this really the off season where teams, in an effort to shed some money, are really going to be interested in? picking up a a substantial amount of what we might view as a bad contract i think that's fair but i i'm actually viewing it almost a little bit the other way of like look i think there's going to be there not only is there going to be i think there the correct phrase for me is there has to be one team bold enough that's going to say okay we understand this year we're going to take some losses but if we can make a a move that's going to capitalize on this year and once things eventually get quote quote unquote back to normal in a salary structure. And again, you've got the, the CBA negotiations that are coming up as well. But like, if you can lock yourself into a good standing, I think one team that's going to be bold enough to do that is going to set themselves up for a good, like five year stretch instead of, well, we're just kind of, you know, SOL for one year. But instead of that, we can actually try and move something in the future. All right. So this is Mustakis's contract. He's going to make $14 million in 2021, $16 million in 2022, 18 million in 2023 and then there's an option for 2024 at 20 million but it has a 4 million buyout so he's probably going to get a 4 million buyout that year i doubt anybody's going to want to pay him 20 million in in 2024 i I, I don't disagree with you that that would have been the wrong that specific contract would have been the wrong contract for the brewers but to me it's the same thing that like and now to me grendel and wistagas are not the same deal i know i've argued this for the last year but like at, if you're trying to get better and, and if you're trying to continue to convince yourself that you're trying to make the playoffs year after year after year, at some point, don't you want to try and convince someone that you're trying to get to the World Series in one of those years and not just give yourself a shot? And I understand the Brewers are a different team and with market size as well and the way that they run their, their operations. But like at some point, you have to do something. So it's an interesting point you make, Ashton. And again, I'm always careful when I go down this path because people are going to tell me that I am accepting non-championships. I'm not accepting non-championships, but there are multiple ways to get to the championship. And I Mm -hmm. think, I think the, so when you're a small market team, you can go all in for a single year or a very small window and hope to win a championship in that period with as good of a team as you can possibly put together. So that's that's option A. I think we saw that from mm-hmm. the Kansas City Royals. Yep. And then you have option B, 
which I think is the uh, what is what the Brewers are doing and what a Tampa Bay is doing. You try to create as competitive of a roster on a any given year basis where you still feel like there's also the opportunity to keep the window open longer where you are going to go into the playoffs and have a puncher's shot. And you're, you're, you, it's never going to feel like you're going all in one year for the World Series, but the idea being is if you just keep going to the playoffs year after year after year after year, eventually you're going to strike gold and you're going to win a yeah. World Series. Which I think, and look, you're right. You're absolutely right that there's a difference in the two systems, and and you're right that that's what the Brewers doing. And I get it. I, I just think at some point, the recognition that some of the some of that ideology is misplaced in the sense of, and it could just be a one year thing, but you know, getting guys from overseas and hoping that you capitalize on that, or getting a guy that has one good year in a track record. If you're again, these are not homegrown guys. I'm talking. I'm talking about signing players or trading for players. Um, you're hoping to capitalize. I think that's the one thing that David Stearns does, and he's been successful at it. Like, I can't take that away from him, is trying to capitalize on one player's strength while also uh, saving yourself in the cap. And not the cap, but in the salary structure. I do think, and we'll go back to Yasmani Grandal for a second. Um, There was an opportunity there, and they took it. And until... Until we hit opening day, and maybe I'm just naive. I have been naive about many things in my life. Maybe I'm just a naturally naive person. But I'm also somebody that looks at track record. Yeah. And you know what? Last offseason turned out to be a pretty tough offseason uh, in terms of talent acquisition for the Brewers. It was not a tough offseason in that they got a Yelich deal done. And right. that has a lot more impact than anything else. But I feel like this team, when they can make smart, short-term decisions to make the team better, they, for the most part, have done a good job on that last year's offseason notwithstanding. So I still I I still feel like, and maybe I'm just wrong on this, I still feel like, even in this tough economic situation, that if it's coming up on spring training – and the amount of guys that we expect to be out there are still out there, at some point, maybe they do push just a little bit more than what they're comfortable with here at the moment and make that kind of acquisition. I don't know if it's a Yasmani Grandal-type acquisition. I don't know if a player of the stature of Yasmani Grandal is even available. I mean, they're not going to get DJ LeMahieu, right? Like they're, they're, some, <laughs> they're not going to get those top-tier free agents, but I think they can – they can still get better. They can still get fringe all-star caliber type players into this organization. Or to counter that kind of using Yasmina Grandal as an example, or if you can capitalize on getting a player that's betting on themselves, right? Like on a one-year deal or maybe on a two-year deal if you get lucky. But like if you can convince a player like, hey, we think you can either earn a bigger deal and figure something out, we think we can help you capitalize on that and earn yourself some more some more money. I think, sure, then that, that's a, a great plan. I just think you can if you continue this idea of we're going to try and strike while the iron's hot in the short-term deals, you're mentioning that, again, have, cor- have correctly, as you stated, been hit on more often than not, at some point, your luck runs out. So I'm wondering, at what point do you recognize your luck running out and you either shift away from it or you accept it and try to just revamp. 
I, I've said, again, I feel like I'm just repeating myself for people who listen to this podcast every week, and, and I apologize. For, for many reasons, I wish we could get in the DeLorean and never have the pandemic. Of course. From a, from a baseball-specific standpoint, I believe, and I will continue to believe this, and people have told me I'm wrong, and I don't care. Um, I still think last year's offseason – was partly being dictated by them not wanting to overextend themselves where they couldn't get a Yelich deal done. And I, that, that specifically relates to a Mike Moustakis and a Yasmani Grandal. I, I don't think they were going to go spend that big money. I think they wanted to get Yelich figured out, and then they would go from there. So you end up having the offseason that you had last year. I am really curious, and we'll never know the answer, Ashton. I am really curious what this offseason would have looked like in a normal circumstance because you have the Yelich deal done, so there's no more big unknowns when it comes to the amount of money you're going to be spending on him. You have Mm -hmm. the Braun contract off the books. What would of this offseason look like in a non-pandemic world? Um, Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I think that's a good way to look at it. Uh, my only counter to that would be what's the track record that shows. Let me rephrase. Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that in a more diplomatic, better way. What's the track record that indicates or gives uh, you or fan a fan, fan confidence that that would have happened or that they might have gone and made his quote unquote splash? The day they acquired Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich. I, that's exactly what I was pointing to. I think the track record is there. That sure, that's a fair way to think. Um, I also would be nervous about seeing some of the things that they've tried to do for short term that we've been discussing as well in the past few seasons that have not worked out yet. And again, maybe 2020 is 2020. And we just have to look at that and, and allow one more season. I've been trying to convince myself that, uh, especially when it comes to baseball of this is the weirdest possible outcome for these players, the training structure, the scheduling, the games, the playoffs, the, the like everything, everything was so strange that maybe once 2021 is a more normalized, at least, uh, regimen, that we start to see players playing to what they are. So that, that's why I'm willing to not give, not give a team like the Brewers a pass, but willing to see it out a little bit. But it doesn't mean that I wouldn't want to see them still do things. They need a first baseman and a third baseman. But they needed that before last season. Okay. Well, they, they att- like, I don't think that changes. Well, they, I mean, the move, neither move worked, but last year they brought in Justin Smoke and Logan Morrison. I, right. And I, uh, my argument at the time was, is the same that it was then is they still need a first baseman and a third baseman. And I was, I thought Smoke would be better. I thought the Smoke signing was okay. And I thought he would be better. Blame it on the pandemic or just say that's who he was. And now he has two straight years and, and he's going to go play internationally now. Um, I I I expected more. So the Brewers were wrong on smoke, and I was wrong on smoke. I thought he would be better than he was. Yeah, I um, I, I just I, I thought they bought high on a lot of guys that didn't have a big track record, which is why I'm I'm interested to see in what's going to uh, happen this year. Which, like you said, they still need a lot, um, and that's just it's not just for this season, but for the future. What do you do? Uh, and I think one thing that I know you are very familiar with, obviously, and many people that pay attention to are 
Um, what's happening in minor league baseball and that system has a huge impact on the Brewers and how they go about their business. Yeah, you know, I was a little confused because the Brewers were one of the teams that was very much in favor of the reduction of the minor league teams to the to the very standard AAA, AA, high A, low A, and basically get rid of short season ball. And then there's a lot of stuff going on at the lower minor leagues where Major League Baseball is now involved in independent baseball, and they're going to be able to place players there. And uh, some of the collegiate wood bat leagues now have Major League Baseball affiliation. I mean, it's just a it's a very mm-hmm. convoluted thing. And quite honestly, probably most people listening to this don't <laughs> care about the um, the very specific aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, one of the ways when you're a smaller market team to not level the playing field, but to put yourself in better position is to infuse your organization with as many players as possible. Because maybe some undrafted guy or maybe some late-round draft pick that got released by another team out of single A and you go sign, maybe one of those guys is going to really flourish into something. And there's going to be a lot of failure. There's going to be a lot of guys that don't do that. It's literally looking for that diamond in the rough. But if you have enough, you know, you add these short season clubs and maybe, you know, there's some teams that have the extra short season club. You have all these places to put players and hope that you find somebody uh, that can be cost controlled and can do more than anybody expected them to do. To me, it's worth all that extra stuff. But it seemed like maybe maybe I'm wrong on that because uh, there was not a big push from even the small market teams to keep the old system in place. Everything you just said, I agree with, which is why I'm fascinated with how the minor league system is going to affect uh, Major League Baseball as a whole. Uh, and again, that's specifically a team like the Brewers, who it feels like would try to capitalize on at least having systematic depth. Yeah. Um, so, but who knows? I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I'm, I'm uh, fascinated with it. And for people who didn't hear, uh, the announcement was made that in order to just limit the number of players that are at spring training locations, when spring training gets started, and right now it's still scheduled to start on time, when spring training gets started, it's going to be the major league guys and it's going to be the triple-A guys. And then they're going to leave camp, and then the double-A and the single-A guys are going to come in, and they're going to have their spring training, and those minor league seasons will be getting started significantly later than when they would normally start. So that's... Of everything, like that's honestly that's the only change so far. Now that could that could change before we even post this podcast, Ashton. Right. Uh, but sure. that is the only official change at this point in time that that's going to be the uh, the setup that there's going to be uh, a late start for single A and double A. Yeah, which again, I, I'm interested to see the impact of it, and also I'm kind of interested like logistically how spring training is going to work when it comes to uh, games. And which players get called up, and which to to play in games and, and work with the big club and and, uh, and whatnot. I am um, I'm I'm worried about pitching next year because you played sixty games this past season, and there's you can you can look at the research. You can prove that if a player throws X amount of innings, and then the next season that number goes up by a certain multiplier that they become that much more susceptible to injury and that it was just going to happen with um with the 60 game season but i think of everything i'm and you know look base people in baseball are really smart and the, this is actually one area where the amount of statistical data that's out there could really help in terms of injury because 
I think major league organizations are going to be just as cognizant and aware of that and are going to do some things to try to. Now, there's going to be the tough guy fans out there when all of a sudden <laughs> your ace is skipped or they they allow them not to make a start, their first start before the All-Star break or last start before the All-Star break, and, and they move them to the fifth spot after the All-Star break to give them a, a week and a half or two weeks off or something. Like There's going to be people out there saying teams are not trying to win, yada, yada, yada. But that's that's going to be done. Those type of things are going to be done for the safety of these players because it's a whole lot better to lose a guy for two starts than it is to lose a guy for a year. Yeah, which so I'm kind of I'm with you on that, and I'm wondering like how will rotations be set up for some of these teams as well? Are they going to start with six man rotations and either stay the whole year like that or work their way back? You know, we see it obviously year to year basis depending. But like I think some teams are going to be like, well, shoot. We, we only can trust this guy for five or four, four or five innings, or we just don't want to extend the, the sh- stress on their arm to have to go six or seven innings once every five days. We'd rather they go once a week, maybe twice. If I was Major League Baseball, I would consider some sort of expanded roster set up again this year where you have where you're forced a lot of things if I was Major League Baseball, Maddie. <laughs> well, where you would be forced to use those extra spots on pitchers as a, as a way, or even have like a taxi squad where uh, you still have a 26-man a game day roster, but you've you got five tw- like pitchers on standby. Yeah, and you can you know yeah. move those pitchers in and out on a, on a game day type roster just to try to protect yourself. I, that's I don't know if that's even like being considered, but again, kind of like you, if I'm the one making the rules in Major League Baseball, I would be considering that again just for health and safety purposes. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that would be. I'm trying to think now from Rob Manfred's perspective, from the competition committee's perspective, which is a scary place to go down, obviously. Um, what would be the incentive against doing something like that? More guys on the major league roster making major league money. Okay. I'm glad I asked that. So I, I do not look from that prism, but okay. That would be in a year where major league baseball teams are really, really, really trying to not pay money. All of a sudden, the prospects Adding of having money. yeah the four yeah. extra guys on the major league <laughs> roster all making at least the major league minimum. I think I think there'd be an ownership uh, balk at that. Now maybe I don't know if you're a minor league guy and you have an opportunity to do that to be the 28th guy and you make your minor league salary for day for game days that you're on you're not on the game day roster and you make a major league salary on the day you are on the game day roster maybe that's something that would be considered but at the same time that's a really really slippery slope and going into a year where there's going to be a CBA contract negotiation I have a hard time believing players would agree to something like that uh, now that we're talking about the pitching how do you think the pitching market's going to look in the next over the next 2 months I mean, it's the it's one of the few things that's moved much so far. I like I'm thinking of a guy like the big name is Trevor Bauer, obviously. Like I I can't figure out what the heck's going on there. That's just the big name. But like I'm trying to think of if teams are thinking how we're thinking, which obviously we think we they should be thinking how we're thinking. We're geniuses. Um, if teams are we are, are we geniuses <laughs> or are we just a little bit smarter than the next guy? I'll take genius. Okay, <laughs> let's just say genius. Um, but like if, if teams are thinking of how we are, they would want to be even more active in at least trying to figure out depth depth of it of their their roster, and also they would try to put a premium on, hey, we can capitalize having better relievers or more just more relievers in general, more guys who can stretch 
um, you know, extended relievers. Even so, I'm curious how that's going to change even the next as we start to get into teams uh, going to Arizona and Florida. Yeah, look, there's not going to be a lot of starting pitchers that average much more than six innings this year. Right. I would. I mean, that's. Have I don't know if I've ever even seen this this data out there. Like, what's the what's the average innings pitched for a starting pitcher? In Major League Baseball, I see you going to your computer. Are you looking that up right now? I am are, looking. Uh, are you going to Fangraphs or something? Okay, so I, this is surprising. According to Sports Illustrated, 5.2 innings in 2019, and in 2020, it was just under five. It was under five? It was 4.7. I, I don't think we should count 2020, if we're being honest. So I'm just going to say 2019, it was five point what did I say? 5.2? Yeah, five, okay. 5.2. Okay, but think about that for this past year. Think about that, that that an average, the average major league starter pitched less than five innings. Like even I have a hard, I, I would have believed just over five. I have a, that's, that is surprising to me that the average, the, the mean uh, or, or the median start time uh, length of a major league pitcher this past year was under five innings. Yeah. Now, so I'm, now I'm looking at baseball reference. I've been looking at it per team for 2019 uh, the Brewers in 2019 at for pitchers, starting pitchers averaged 4.9 innings per start. The league average that year was 5.2. Okay, so it's a little bit either. Yeah. I believe the five, like the 5.2, seems right to me. Yeah. No, and last year, I'm, I'm just double checking the numbers here. Um, I'm trying to see how many teams even went over that four point. So last year there were one, two, three. There were 10 teams last year that pitched five innings or more per start for starting pitcher. The league average was 4.8. That's something, 4. isn't 8. it? Can you imagine if we went back in time? And I hate doing this because like, there's a, re- there's a reason that all this exists. And sometimes those reasons are good and sometimes those reasons are bad, but they're not all bad. Can right. you imagine going back? 20 years, 25 years, and talking to an average baseball fan and saying, you know, the average length of start in Major League Baseball, in 2019 even, is going to be just over five innings. I can't, you know, and again, now that I'm looking back to some of these averages, it's been in the median, the mid-fives for basically the past five seasons. You know, how come this doesn't get talked about more, Matt? <laughs> why, why, like, this specific stat is fascinating to yeah, me. It, how I don't know. I'm not looking at the data. The, the data you're looking at. How far back does it go that you're looking at? Uh, well, this I, I'm just searching by year, and it goes. Uh, it's it's listed by team. So if you just give me a year, I can look. I can look, and I can tell you exactly what the league average was. Uh, it, it looks like it goes. Looks like you can go for any any year, probably in the 70s. On go to 2001. Go back 20 years. Go to 2001. 2001. I can do that. Listen, this is great podcasting right now. We're just but, looking but stuff up together. I think this is together. fascinating because yeah. it shows also like exactly how the league has changed and how ideologies in the league has changed. And now people who uh, can, like myself, who say the game is boring, diehard baseball fan, and I think baseball is boring as heck sometimes. Like yeah. that's that's just a, a fact. Like if baseball has the boring to it. And also people who say, you know, if, if Brewers fans, let's for example, that complain that the way Craig Council uses his bullpen. Like I, I think that's one of the main reasons that this is so fascinating to me. So now I'm at 2001 innings pitched per game started. The league average was 5.9. Okay. So about six. 
Yeah. So, so in, the, in 20 the, years, the average length of start has gone down about an inning. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's significant. And you know what? 20 years is not that long ago. I mean, when you think about 2001, I don't know, you're younger than me, but when I think about 2001, it does not feel like 2001 was that long ago. Uh, and most people listening to this podcast will agree with me because I'm not that old. <laughs> I think you're right. Yes, because in 2001, I would have. That was the first baseball season that I vividly remember. Oh. And I was, let's see, eight, seven, seven by the time the World Series ended. Okay, the first baseball season I vividly remember was probably '96. Okay, I was I was going to ask you if it was before or after the strike. No, it was uh, it was just after the strike. It would have been uh, it would have been '96. Um. God. What, so are you calling me old again? Is that what you're? No, I'm, saying, yeah. I'm, just, I'm thinking about the stat and just how pitching philosophies have changed over the last 20 years. Yeah, and well, let's finish off with this because you kind of alluded to it. One of the things, because you're right, the baseball can be boring. Um, Theo Epstein had some great things that he said on his way out of Chicago. Stuff that me and a lot of other people have been saying for a very long time, but we're not. We don't have the. Um, we don't have the platform, the soapbox that he has. So he said it, and now a lot of other people have picked up on it. So the, here's kind of the, the paradox here, because there's there's people out there, I hear from them all the time hosting the postgame show. There's people out there that truly believe winning baseball, that you will win more baseball games if you start putting down bunts, if you start playing small ball, if you start making it look like it's 1987 the way you play baseball. There are people out there that believe that you will win more games doing that. Mm-hmm. They are wrong. You will mm-hmm. not win more games. You will win less games doing that. But the game arguably would be more entertaining because that style of baseball just is more entertaining. So baseball is in a really tough place right now where the formula to win games is using a style of baseball that is less entertaining. And if you start playing the game in a way that many people would feel is more entertaining, you're going to end up probably losing more. And there are things that they talk about rule changes, like banning the shift is one of them. And I don't, I think banning the shift, to me, it's kind of silly. Um, yep. And more importantly, I don't think it would do that much. Maybe there's a uh, there's a hit that squirts through a little bit more often, but I don't think it's going to have any sort of significant change on the game of baseball. I don't know how to get past the idea of baseball is getting more boring, yet where managers, general managers, owners are expecting are, are expected to win games. Their job is literally to win games, so they're doing what they need to do to win games. I'm just that I'm stuck right there. I have I, I don't know how to go any step past that to fix the issue. No, again, that goes back to what I was saying about when I was kind of laughing a couple minutes ago about the philosophies and pitching that have changed over the last twenty years. Like that's the managerial philosophy, the gamesmanship philosophy, the literal in-game managing philosophies have changed. And that doesn't, that's not just the major league baseball, that ideology and philosophies have now started in youth baseball, go through college, go through the minors and obviously up to the, to the pros. But like, I, I don't know if we're ever going to see that big change. And I'm obviously anyone that's heard me on this before, or heard me talk about baseball in general. Like I'm obviously super pro analytics. I'm very pro reading the numbers and, and data or data, however anyone wants to pronounce it. I don't care. I'll say both data. And I say data. both too. Uh, yes. So I, I, that's something I'm very into. But at the same time, I can acknowledge 
that there is some sort of need for a mixture of knowing the game and reading the numbers. And there are teams that do that very well, like the Rays and like the Brewers to an extent. There are teams that don't do that, um, and they, those teams continue to lose. Uh, so I, I think there are ways to capitalize on that when you want to spend would be another way to do that if you're not just reading the numbers. So I'm interested. That's why I'm interested in the market like now and the market going forward. Once we have a, the new CBA, if we ever get there, how is that going to change? How, like the game, baseball as it is, is not changing anytime soon. I, I And the, the banning of the shift will never happen. You can implement the DH universally, which I hope happens. I, I don't know how much that really changes. They might the ban the shift. They might. I can't see that, man. I don't think I don't expect it, but to say it is an impossibility the way you just stated, I don't think it's an impossibility. Uh you know, just a simple rule that two infielders have to be on the first base side of second and two infielders have to be on the uh on the you know, the the third base side of second. I, I could see them implementing that rule. Okay. I uh we would we would I hope it doesn't happen. Uh, but but again, like in in the large scheme of things, I just I can't buy baseball as it's been over the last let's say decade changing drastically in the next decade. I, I think baseball as it is is going to be like this until there's some grandeur shift in philosophy. Which I don't know if you're an organization, why you would do that. Well, here's okay. So here's here's where the motivation might come from because Ashton, we both know at the end of the day, everything comes down to money. Money, that's, dollars. That's the answer. The, the answer is always money. Because and we, numbers never lie. We actually learned this past week that the new ESPN deal for uh, Major League Baseball is going to bring in about $150 million less per season yep. to, during the regular season. Now, that's being made up with the uh, expanded playoff, which has not yet even been accepted, and that's going to be mm-hmm. a battle because nobody wants to work together on either side. Uh, so it's not that overall money is going to be going down, but the the regular season is going to be worth less, and there doesn't seem to be that much interest, whether it's whether it's Fox, whether it's an up-and-coming group, whether it's a streamer like Amazon or whoever. There's not a lot of interest in picking up the regular season games that ESPN is going to be dropping, especially if they're uh, non-exclusive. That the uh, that's the big thing. If you've got a game on a on Wednesday night baseball on ESPN that's also being shown in local markets, well, there's just that that doesn't do for ESPN what what they want it to do. So let's say baseball continues to move in a direction where the game at times can be boring the way it is right now. And the ratings continue to drop. And every time they're doing TV deals, it's another $150 million less per year. And all of a sudden, the TV money during the playoffs is down. The ratings way down. And Fox is giving money back to advertisers or giving them free spots during other programming. If, if those things happen to a degree that they are not yet happening, um, that's when... Rob Manfred or whoever the commissioner of baseball is at the time and the respective major league owners will definitely come together and say, this is what we need to do to make our game more entertaining. Uh, yes. I just, I have a hard time because the, the very thing you prefaced it by saying nobody can come with together on both sides. I have a hard time believing that the players union uh, will 
not only agree, but even sit down to have any of those conversations. Uh, again, this is me looking at it in 2021 versus next year or the year after that. But if so, okay, so if, if salaries just continue to drop because overall That's, revenue right. is down and then the owners go to the players and say, look, the only way for us to start growing growing salary again is if we get the TV ratings to go back up. So we got to sit down up. and figure this out. And actually, I will disagree with you because I think the players are – the people who want to grow the game right now. If you remember last year during the negotiations before the 60-game season, the players were talking about wearing microphones during the game. They were talking about coming together to do like an all-star challenge during the offseason as a made-for-TV event. Like They had all these out-of-the-box ideas Mm -hmm. that they were good with that they were going to give to the owners as a way to create revenue if the owners would give something back to them in terms of number of games, and we never got to that point. So uh, changing the game a little bit to grow the game, I... I think it's the players who would actually be more okay with that. Well, I definitely agree that the players that went to want to grow the game. I'm just curious how much change again. I, I honestly, we can end the conversation as it comes down to money. Players start losing money that get in the room. Teams start losing money that in turn goes to players losing money going into a room. I, I just, I think it's going to depend on uh, when we start seeing fans and gate revenue starts coming back into different teams and, and all that, that's going to be where the conversation really starts to shift to. Okay. Fans are back. Money's still going down. Now what? Yeah. All right. Let's leave it at that. Ashton, plug everything you got going on. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, anything Bucks related you should listen to on WTMJ because if I'm not on it, I'm part of it. And they, you should support Justin Garcia and Greg Mantic. Uh, Jen, Gabe, and Chewy, ESPN, Milwaukee, 94.5, morning 7 to 9, Monday through Friday. Um, Matt Polly just... Brewers Extra Innings, Thursdays at 8. Wow, thanks, man. Uh, the Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, Matt Polly, every Monday. Are you trying to become an official part of this? Po- uh, just change your Twitter bio tonight, That you know, co-host of <laughs> yeah, the Brewers Extra Innings podcast. Uh, plug? Um, I think that's everything that anyone would care about. I don't know. Nobody, I, just, I just like being – I just like talking to my friends about sports uh, and food. Sport, eh. Have you uh, – what's the best thing you've had to, uh, to eat lately? Uh, well, Matthew, I made um, Oreo cookies today. Like instead of chocolate chips, I used Oreo crushed up Oreos, and they're they're pretty good. Let me. Okay, so um, are you a Kringle guy? I like Kringle. I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider myself a go out of my way to get Kringle guy, but I like Kringle. So I, I'm not trying to offend anybody here. I like all Kringles. Like all Kringles are. Real, I've never tasted a bad Kringle. Right <laughs> there, you go. <laughs> um, there is a there's a bake shop up in the Green Bay area. Uncle Mike's Bake Shop. They've okay. been, they've won many Kringle awards. They are North America's best Kringle, according to the the box that the Kringle comes in. They sure. have they have various like holiday and 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 seasonally themed Kringles, and they have well, their current themed one is the uh, the Snowball Kringle, and coconut. No, it doesn't have coconut, and I'm I'm. I know there's a lot of people who don't like State Fair cream puffs, and uh, so it's it's not it's not a cream puff, but it does have the cream filling to it, and it does have the powdered sugar on it and everything, and it is uh, it is very good. I'm 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 in Green Bay a lot because I'm the broadcaster for the Green Bay women's basketball team, so mm-hmm. uh, I can't tell you how many times I I make the stop at Uncle Mike's and grab a Kringle and bring it home. That's actually what we gifted. Our families this year, we sent them Kringles from uh, from from that play. And 
There, again, there are the, there are many the wonderful Kringle places. I got the holiday card. I did not get the Kringle in the mail, which is strange. Ashton, those things are not cheap. <laughs> Tell you that those things are not. I, I'll, accept, I'll accept the thought. Okay. Yeah, you did get a holiday card from us. I know. I still have it somewhere. I was hanging up on my fridge for a while. Oh, okay. How many holiday cards did you get this year? One. Really? <laughs> Just you. Wow. I have got. Oh uh, no, I got. Uh, no, I got two. I got two holiday cards. Okay. I never grew. You know, well, because like I'm twenty five year old, twenty six year olds don't really give out holiday cards. I don't know. None of my friends have families. I only have like one friend that's getting married or is married. So, yeah. Except I'm me. Cool. I'm your friend and I have a family. No, I'm talking about that at my age. <laughs> Ouch. Nah. No offense. You're not my age. That's Ashton Robin. That's going to do it for uh, <laughs> this conversation. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for all your contributions to the program, Ashton. And uh, good luck with all your uh, future endeavors moving forward. We, uh, we look forward to watching from afar how, you're, uh, how everything moves forward. Thank you for us having me for always. That's Ashton Rotman, a fun conversation with him. And while we do uh, certainly joke around uh, about him never, ever, ever appearing on the podcast again, he will indeed uh, get back here at some point in time, probably before the, uh, the next season starts. Whether the season starts on time or not, I think the season will start on time. I think 162 games will be played. If it doesn't get started on time, if 162 games don't get played, I would not be shocked. Uh, but if you know the, the proverbial gun to the head, which way is it going to go? I say the season starts on time, and spring training will probably start on time or close to on time. I do think we learned last year when we watched baseball being played. Spring training is important. Uh, a lot of people have always wondered why do they spend so much time. Uh, during the, why is it so long? Well, there's a lot of things about last season that I think we learned about the game, and one of them is uh, for the game to be played at the level that we want it to be played, having the uh, the normal length of spring training is something that is uh, fairly important. So we'll see how it goes. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Look forward to uh, talking to you next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Bowl. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.